Well, the final verse that, that Kenya just read there in Exodus 6, 9 says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They had a broken spirit because of their harsh slavery. Have you ever had a broken spirit before? I'm not talking Super Bowl Sunday, Chiefs lose tonight, and you're crying on the floor, just so mad at Brock Purdy and the 49ers, though I pray that may happen. (laughs) Not a popular message, right, in, in Missouri to be cheering for the Niners. Not talking about that sort of broken spirit. Have you had a broken spirit meaning, man, Life was going this way. God had this thing in mind, right? And everything's going well and you're excited about it and you're on cloud nine and you really sense the Lord's presence in life. And then all of a sudden, something happens and it causes you to to question the Lord. It causes you to question yourself. It causes you to maybe question someone else. Have you had that that earth-shattering moment before from, from some circumstance that took place in your life where it just... If you were describing it to someone, you'd say, yeah, that, that like crushed my heart or that broke my spirit. I can remember when I was 18, and I've maybe shared this before, but I was in, in the hospital room when my grandma Vivian passed away, and, and she was just a, a great figure in my life. She faithfully loved Jesus for years and years, and, and by the grace of God, got to be around Grandma Vivian, Grandpa Boots all the time, and I remember being in the hospital room when that final beep went off. And the numbing feeling, the eerie feeling of, okay, is this what life is supposed to be? Like, God, you, you have us in these rich relationships with people, and, and then they end? I can remember when I was 23, I was in Zambia with my brother and his wife. Uh, that, that's where they live as, as missionaries there. And I remember being with them, and they're all excited, like, all right, we got one baby, Natalie, and another baby is on the way. And I was with them when uh, my sister-in-law went into labor, and Elijah uh, came two months too early, and, and helicopter sort of ER scene took place, and the, the baby didn't make it. And, and I remember in that moment questioning God and witnessing just the, the crushing nature of losing someone. My sister-in-law just crushed. I can remember uh, a few years back, probably five years ago or, or so, my wife Peyton and I, we were, we were dating and we were button heads. And, and I remember driving on, on the back roads of Columbia, just like death grip on the steering wheel, like, why are we here again? Like, like what am I doing or what are we doing that's not working? We both want to be in this relationship, but, but we keep butting heads like, Lord, what's happening here? And, and I remember just like hitting the steering wheel, even like just yelling out like, God, what is this? That sort of thing. Have you, have you been in that place before where you're just crushed, confused? That's where the people of Israel were at. They were crushed, they were confused, and yeah, they, they were enslaved with a broken spirit. What's that been for you in life? Where has there been that, that crushed spirit sort of thing? That, that happening, that event, maybe it was a season and it was a long time, maybe it was just a brief thing and the Lord walked you through that. Or even now, what, what's the thing that, that crushes your perspective of God or your perspective of the life that he has for us. 
Maybe it's something so deep that it's like, man, you could give me like 500 boxes of Kleenexes and that, that wouldn't be enough to, to mop up my emotions for that thing. Or, or if it's anger, maybe it's like you could give me 50 punching bags, but I'm, I'd wear them all out because I'm just so angry over said thing. The people of Israel were, were in that place, in bondage, in slavery. This morning as we're in Exodus 6 and, and chapter 5 some as well, we're going to see the people of God in a broken place. And we're going to be looking at this idea of what do we do with a broken spirit? What do we do when we're in that moment? What do we do when we're in that season of life? When we're just crushed and we don't know what to do. Or we're just crushed and we don't know what the, the next best move for us as an individual or for us as a family could be. The hope is that as we're looking at Exodus 6 and, and Moses and the people of Israel and their circumstance, we can see some parallels that we have a good and gracious God even in the middle of that hopelessness, even in the middle of the broken spirit that they were experiencing that we still experience from time to time today. And so I'm going to pray for us and we're going to begin to go that direction looking, Lord, what do you have for us when we're in that spot, hopeless, broken, confused? And so, uh, Lord, we just... Uh, Thank you that your word guides us, that it's full of promises, that for us as followers of you, if we're followers of you, we, we get to just sit under the, your grace, God, even in the middle or midst of hard times, Lord, you walk with us and, and we can sense that through your word. God, I pray that as we look at uh, this, this story, you would just have some truths that would encourage us and, and guide us today. Help us to be humble in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we love Bibles out at Anthem, and so if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Exodus 5, Exodus 6. That's where we'll be spending most of our time this morning. Up on the screen, I'll have the outline kind of just broke down of the direction that we're going. And so what to do with a broken spirit. First, we're going to be looking at the broken spirit in Egypt, looking at their story, their time. And we'll be looking at the broken spirit in you and me. If we're human, we have the proclivity to have a broken spirit from time to time. What do we do with that? And then third, we'll be looking at what we can do when our spirit is broken. And so let's read uh, chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 to see the lost hope, the brokenness that the people of Israel were in. So starting verse 20, chapter 5, this is speaking of the people of Israel. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The people of Israel are in bondage. They're in Egypt. They've been there for centuries. It's like fourth, fifth generation of people that, that are living here. And they're speaking to Moses and Aaron. And it says, And they said to them, to Moses and Aaron, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh. They were enslaved to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king that they had been serving. Whether they liked Pharaoh or not, if they wanted food on their table, that was who they had to serve. They had to do their daily work in order to meet their daily need. And what had just happened was Moses had taken a step of faith as their leader, as this one going out on a limb to be their deliverer. 
And the result of his act of faith seems to the people of Israel to be backwards. He says, okay, we got this plan. The Lord gave us a plan. We're going to go out to the wilderness to, to meet with the Lord. You know, hopefully Pharaoh's going to honor that. And, and maybe we'll be able to exit Egypt after that. They throw the, the plan out there. Pharaoh sees it, receives it. And what does he do? It pretty much doubles their workload. He says, you guys, you have to keep doing the work that you're doing. And now you have to make the bricks without straw that we're providing. Their faithful leader takes a step and it seems to be backwards. And so what are they doing? They're, they're looking at Moses and they're looking at Aaron. And they're saying, the Lord, look on you and judge because you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. Their life suddenly became a lot harder, not in a spot where it was leading to more deliverance. They had a broken spirit because of that. Later on in that verse, it says, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you, Moses, have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're in a place of shame where it's like, man, we can't get the work done that we need to get done to, to honor Pharaoh. So he's frustrated at us. But they were also in a place of fear because who was overseeing the foreman? Pharaoh. And what were the foremen doing? They were trying to please Pharaoh too. And so, so they're riding people as much as they can. Get the work done. Get the work done. Yep, no straw, but you'll have to go get it yourself. So let's go. They're getting prodded over and over again. They have a broken spirit. They're in a place of fear. Their, their lives were at stake, right? If they weren't working fast enough or hard enough, the foremen probably had permission to do what they thought they needed to do. In a place of fear and a place of shame. As we read in verse 9 of chapter 6, we see another aspect of their brokenness. It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. We'll read verses 2 to 8 in a, a bit. But what happens in verses 2 to 8 is God provides a whole bunch of hope first to Moses. And then that hope is to be delivered from Moses to the people in bondage. And so just imagine a great speech, a great piece of encouragement. The Lord's dialed it up for Moses to deliver. He goes and delivers this, this message. And he's like, this is from the Lord. Okay, this is from the Lord. You need to listen. And what's their response? Verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. They're living in fear of their lives. They're, they're broken-spirited people because of the harsh slavery that they're in. And they also are treating Moses and the word of the Lord as white noise. Their broken spirit was keeping them from actually listening to the hope that God was providing In ancient Egypt, they're just trying to get through the day. They have this, what appears to them, false prophet, you know, saying, this is what we need to do. And they tried to believe that guy once. It led to more work. And so now it's just like, oh, yeah, Moses said something, and it was from the Lord. Okay. The people didn't listen. Their, their broken spot that they were in, the harsh slavery that they were in, was blinding them to the hope that God was offering for them. Moses had good news, but the Hebrew people didn't listen. 
I think they had selective hearing at this point. They were all ears probably the first time they talked about there's going to be a deliverer. Moses is going to do great things for us. But when that same guy came up to deliver maybe a new message from the Lord, they weren't ready to receive it. Their broken spirit was blinding them. And we, we got to be clear, like the people of Israel were not in an easy circumstance, right? If, if we know the narrative of Genesis, like, okay, God speaks creation into existence, and then he has this chosen people, and, you know, the 12 tribes of, of Abraham and, and Jacob, like, like these are, are great leaders, and, and it's going to be awesome. They hit uh, a place where there's not enough food and provision. It's a time of famine, by the, by the providential hand of God, though, Joseph was already in Egypt helping lead. And so what was God's way out of that circumstance was like, hey, actually come to Egypt. Come to Egypt, and, and God's going to provide you food there. And so they go, and, and they probably travel with excitement, like, no food here, but we get to go there. And they're in Egypt, kind of this land in between, and, and they're eating food, surviving life. And they're like, all right, this is God's providence. But leadership changes from one pharaoh to the next to the next. And what do we learn at the beginning of Exodus? This current pharaoh wasn't pleased that this people were here. He, he feared that their numbers were going to grow too strong. He feared that they were maybe going to take over their land. And so what did he do? He, he put them to work. Slavery followed. And so to the people of Israel, they're in a spot where it's like, okay, God gave us this promised land. We lived in it for a little bit. We ran out of food, so then we go over here because God called us to go over here only to find out this is a place where we're enslaved. Why are we here, God? They had that broken spirit because they thought that the Lord was guiding them and then their circumstance crushed them. The other broken spirit we see in ancient Egypt is Moses himself, struggling with hopelessness, struggling with cynicism. Chapter 5, 22 and 23, we see this. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. One thing that, that Matt hit on last week was Moses was going to the right place. It says Moses then said to the Lord. He, he was going to the Lord, but in his coming to the Lord, what was he doing? In some regards, he, he's pointing the finger at God, and then we see him pointing the finger at Pharaoh, and then we see him pointing the finger at God again. He's looking at others as the guilty ones. Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? He's saying, okay, number one, why is this circumstance going on? Number two, why did you have me in this place? So he's frustrated here north, right, at the Lord, but then there's also this frustration that he has in Pharaoh. If you're a leader, why lead people in this way? You're enslaving thousands and thousands of people. He's frustrated with everyone he was looking at. As we, look, as we look at chapter 6, verse 12, the beginning of that verse. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. He's also looking at the people of Israel, thinking like, man, I'm saying all the words. God's given me these words, and I'm saying them, but 
They're not listening. He's frustrated that, that the people he's supposed to be leading aren't wanting to be led. Moses was wrestling and fighting with what I'll call this if-then theology, this circumstantial theology that said, okay, God, if you would only maybe make Pharaoh a different leader, then I'd be okay and I'd trust you. If, Lord, you would put us in a different circumstance where maybe you just take us right back to the promised land right now, then I could trust you. Or, Lord, uh, if you would give me maybe a different people to lead who would more naturally want to follow me, then I'd be excited about being your chosen one to deliver these people. It's this idea that, Lord, if you give me this circumstance, then I'm going to trust you. If, if you just give me this thing that I hope for, then I'm going to see you as good. He was frustrated with the Lord. He was looking at his circumstance, generations of just brokenness and, and broken spirits. They're enslaved. And now here he is trying to lead the people. His first move seemed to fail. And he's looking at everyone else as guilty. Caught in this if-then circumstantial theology rather than a God-centered, God's plan theology. As we look at verse 12 and then also verse 30, we can see what Moses' posture towards himself was. Verse 12 again, But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Verse 30 kind of mirrors this same theme to the Lord after a genealogy is kind of thrown in there. He says, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? As Moses looked outward, he was struggling to believe that God was good. He was struggling to believe that they're ever going to get away from this Pharaoh. He's struggling to believe that these people are ever going to want to follow him. And he's also looking within and saying, You know what? I think I'm incapable too. Right? Verse, verse 12, we see him. He, he's communicated the, the message that God told him to. And he says, behold, the people of Israel haven't listened. He's looking within, probably reflecting as a leader. And like, Lord, I spoke the message, but they don't want to follow. He's looking at God. And, and he's saying, why, why haven't you changed Pharaoh's heart to, to do the thing that you said Pharaoh was going to do in, in letting us go? He's looking at others as guilty, and he's looking at himself and his situation, and he's like, if I can't even lead my own people, your chosen people, God, why on earth are the words that I say going to mean anything to Pharaoh? He says, I, I have uncircumcised lips, which is imagery of, I, I have these lips that are covered, that are sealed, that, that just don't work like they're supposed to. How am I going to convince Pharaoh, I, an unworthy man, how am I going to convince Pharaoh to let his, his moneymakers go free? How am I supposed to do that? One scholar says, the, the term uncircumcised lips means he had a deficiency which interferes with efficiency. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah describes the uncircumcised ear, an ear which cannot hear. In Leviticus, Moses describes an uncircumcised heart, a heart that cannot understand. Moses now described himself as having an uncircumcised set of lips. He recalls to God that he has a speech deficiency. 
He's looking out. He, see the, he sees others as guilty, and he's looking in, and he's saying, I am not your guy. I have all these deficiencies, Lord. He's broken, spirited. But what's his issue? It, yes, he does have deficiencies. Where's his sin? He has a faith failure. He's not trusting that the Lord can use him amid those deficiencies that he had. He, he probably hadn't spent a ton of time in his life, right, like leading huge people groups. Like, that's usually not on anybody's resume. Very few people in the world are trying to lead thousands of people at once, let alone upwards of a million or more. And so he's in, in a really tough spot. But it wasn't that he was deficient. It was that he had a failure of faith. And here he is, fourth generation in, in Egypt, having those doubts. And we have our deficiencies as well. We have things that we feel hopeless and broken-spirited in as well. Even in everyday American life, you know, we have a very different circumstance than Moses was in, a very different circumstance than the people of God were in in slavery. Yet even so, we have these things that, that break our spirit, that crush our hope in the Lord, that derail us from seeing that, that God is good and gracious and, and that he has a plan. And we too have these different things that, that we'd call deficiencies and, and believe that, that God can't use us. Or maybe we're overconfident and we think we always can do it on our own and then that is our deficiency. What are those things for you as you think about your life? As you think about the things that the Lord has on your plate, the things that are in front of you on the path that God has you on? What are those aspects of your life? That, that break your spirit, that crush you, that, that when you talk about them, if you talk about them, make you want to just give up or throw in the towel or, or be looking at God as guilty or be looking at others as guilty? What are the things that, that make you feel really incapable and deficient on the interior? Moses and the people of Israel, they had the same thing going on that we have going on in our day. We struggle to continue to put our faith and hope in God and in God's plan because we either don't think he's enough or we have some skewed view of God to believe that he even has a plan. If then theology wasn't just a sin struggle of Moses and his people, that's part of our brokenness as well. God, if you'd just secure my finances, then I'd for sure not doubt your provision anymore. God, if you'd heal my mom, then I'd start to be a witness of your power and your presence. God, if you just mend this relationship, then I'd begin to believe that community's worth it. God, if you would fix fill-in-the-blank scenario, then I'll follow you faithfully. See, we do the same thing all the time. We have these different parts of our lives that, that we don't let the Lord in on, and they become our crutch. They, they become the, the thing that holds us back from seeing God in his fullness. And so what are those things for you? What are those things that, that break your spirit, that kill your joy? The thing that if it were to change, everything would actually suddenly seem better. I'm going to visualize this with uh, my backpack. This is what happens. We wake up every day in our life and we have a bag on. 
a proverbial backpack of burdens. And we all live our lives walking with different burdens. We have our past behind us. We have the current things that we're really struggling with. We have the things that, that worry us. We have the things that we maybe say don't worry us, but we sugarcoat those worries by trying to be really strong in everything else in life so we don't have to think about it or worry about it. What's in the backpack of burdens for you? When you wake up in the morning, we all have one of these. It's just a matter of do we work with it? Do we bring it before the Lord? For, for Moses, uh, in his backpack of burdens, he, he was struggling with a lot. He's like, why have me as a leader? I'm a stammerer. God, why have me as the leader? These people don't trust me. God, look at my resume. Like, like I'm insecure. I'm worried. This plan isn't good. Every day he was waking up with that. Some days he'd deal with it. Some days he'd bring it before the Lord. For the people of Israel, they, they had burdens too, right? An entire burden of their life was slavery. God, were enslaved to this different people group. They were frustrated every day waking up. They'd live that frustration out probably different ways, different days. Sometimes they, they might handle it well. A lot of times, though, it's probably like, God, if you're there, why this? And rather than focusing on the Lord or trusting in the Lord, this just became the focus. And they're just like, yep, this is, this is my life. Like just a big backpack of burdens. That's, that's my everyday. What is that thing for you? I know for me right now, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I be a really good faithful steward of my job in ministry while also trying to figure out how to be a good husband and a just loving, faithful, caring father? Some days I wake up and I bring those before the Lord. Other days I just kind of like ram it down and just like, ah, I just, I got to get my work done today and I don't work through that with God on good days, I'll bring that up with, with someone around me, mentoring me. Like, by the grace of God, this last week, I was like, man, I feel like so lost in a certain aspect of marriage and a certain aspect of parenting, and I just need to reach out to someone. Had a 40-minute phone call with my friend named Joe in Virginia, and by the grace of God, I was like, that is helpful. What's in your backpack of burdens. Up on the screen, there's uh, going to be a list of the different categories of life uh, that, that we often can feel burdened and have a broken spirit about. Maybe it's something spiritual. Maybe you're in a season of life where you're having a lot of doubts about theology. Some friends around you are maybe checking out different belief systems, and it's like, man, what do I do with that? Like, if they're considering this, now, Lord, what do I do? Maybe it's not something spiritual. Maybe it's something more physical. And it's like, man, I, I really need more work right now. Or I, I really need to have a little bit more money coming in. And it's, it's scary to think about. What are those burdens? They're there. What categories of your life are breaking your spirit? Maybe uh, it's uh, depression and ongoing anxiety, maybe some sort of debilitating fear. Maybe some of them are rational, some of them are irrational. Well, what are the things that are, that are inhibiting your walk with God, that are keeping you from believing that God is good, that he has a plan? We all have these proverbial backpack burdens every day. What are we doing with them? Are, are we bringing them before the Lord? Or are we letting the backpack of burdens rule over us. The people of Israel wished that things would have been different. They were slaves. It made sense for them to want a different life. Moses wished that things could have been different. 
That doesn't sound fun, leading that many people out of uh, a place of bondage into a place of freedom. Sounds very rewarding if he's able to get there and do it and enter the promised land. They wished their circumstances were different because their circumstances were breaking them. The truth is uh, hopelessness in a broken spirit often doesn't show up in acute invitation. Sometimes our burdens are, are things that we've done to ourselves. A lot of times burdens are, are things that happen around us or to us. And so if that's where we're at, if that's what can happen, if that's what was going on in the people of Israel's life, how do we rightly then deal with it? How do we carry the burdens rightly? How do we walk through that broken spirit that we've been struggling with? What's, what's the mending? How do we rightfully do that as followers of Christ? We've got to see what Moses didn't and hold on to what the people of God weren't holding on to. Let's go back to verses 2 to 8. This is God's message of hope for them that they were struggling to hear and struggling to believe. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God was delivering a message of hope. What do we do when we're in a place with a broken spirit, when we're hopeless? We have to circle back around to the truth of God. We have to circle back around to God's master plan that's far beyond anything that we, in the middle of our moments, can understand, right? We have to go back telling ourselves, this is God's gospel. This is his plan. We're broken people, and we're in need of a great God and Savior. And we have to come back to him. Their ears weren't working, right? God was white noise. They didn't like their circumstance. If that's the, the tendency of our heart or the frustration of our moment, we got to come back to the Lord. Even if we don't sense him, even if we don't feel him in the way that once we felt him at camp or whatever, like we have to come back to the Lord. We have to remind ourselves of his truth. See, in this passage, we see five different times God is showing them who he is. Five times we say in verse two, he says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. 
Verse six, he says, I am the Lord. Verse seven, he says, I am the Lord. Verse eight, he says, I am the Lord. Verse 29, he says, I am the Lord. Over and over and over again to the people in the middle of their circumstance, he's saying, just remember who you're working with. You're not just working with some nice guy in the sky. You're, you're working with the very planner of, of this entire thing. You're working with the one who, if there's a potential for redemption, I am that redeemer. He's saying, I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh, the provider. I'm the, I'm the great I am. That's, that's what I'm here for. They're in their moment. They're enslaved, four generations deep, just waiting like, all right, Lord, we're ready for this deliverance. And he's saying, you gotta circle back. Remember, I am the Lord. The repetition is showing the, the greatness of God, just trying to remind his people, the faithful one is over you and with you in this. Another thing we see here, in the text, seven times in the passage, in seven different ways, we see God reminding them of his covenant promise, saying, I will provide. Verse 6, he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Right? They had their backpack of burdens. They're, they're enslaved. And he's saying, I'm going to bring you out from this. Be patient. I'm going to bring you out from this. We see him saying, verse 6, I will deliver you from slavery. You guys are chained up. You, you guys are handcuffed. You're not the people that you want to be because you're under the rule of someone else. And you don't like that. And I see that. Here's the plan I have for you. I'm going to deliver you from slavery. Verse 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. He's saying, I'm going to come into Egypt and I'm going to draw you out of there to the promised land. And there's going to be great acts of judgment, right? And those are about to unfold next week as we begin looking through the plagues. Like, that's God's judgment on Pharaoh and his people. And so he's telling them, like, hey, there's a plan here. There's a plan here. Be patient. I'm the Lord. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to come into the land and, and draw you out. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people. Verse 7, I will be your God. At this point, they, they were probably just kind of, okay, our, our point on earth is to serve Pharaoh, and he's probably just our God now. He's saying, no, no, I, I will be your God. And he promises that he's going to bring them into the land that he swore to give. Verse 8, I will give this land to you for a possession. They're in the middle of hopelessness. And the great I am is showing them I'm the way out. Exodus in Greek means way out. God's showing. I'm the way out. You have your circumstance. You have your thing. But trust me, I'm the Lord. I have a plan in mind. In verse 3 and 4, it says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to the, give them the land of Ke Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. See, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they heard and experienced the name of the Lord to some degree. But Moses and the people that were in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt, they were about ready to experience God in a whole new way. They were about to be freed from bondage. They were about to have a different generation. The past generations had looked like slavery, questioning God, bound, frustrated, broken spirits. And the next generation was going to experience freedom. In the middle of their slavery, fear, doubt, worry of every kind, God provided a way out to them. In verse 5, we see God saying to Moses, like, I hear 
the groaning of my people. I see your circumstance. And what does that cause God to do? It says that he remembered his covenant. We serve a God who remembers his covenant. We serve a God who sees us, who hears us, and who reminds us of the bigger plan. That's why we have to zoom out. What's the hope for you and I as we groan in whatever said thing? God can carry our burdens. God can deliver us from bondage. God can turn mourning into dancing. God can provide a way out. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in the middle of your hopelessness? Henrietta Mears said, Genesis tells us of humanity's failure under every test and in every condition. Exodus is the thrilling epic of God hastening to the rescue. It tells of the redeeming work of a sovereign God. We've got to believe that we're in the middle of a redeeming work in our sovereign God. When we're in the middle of the, the broken spirit days or the broken spirit hours. You know, life's a lot of this. Hills and valleys, hills and valleys, hills and valleys. When you're in the valley, are you remembering that you have a redeeming God who sees you and hears you and wants to remind you of his covenant? He's hastening to our rescue. What do we do when hope's lost, when our spirit is broken? We fix our gaze on our good God and the covenant he's given us. God's book is full of prophecies that come true. And even though it's so hard to believe that in the middle of our, our moments, we, we have a God who's faithful. Up on the screen, I'm going to walk through just four different rhythms that can help us hope in the Lord in the middle of our broken spirit, in the middle of our hopelessness. First thing we got to do is, is locate the broken spirit in us. Okay, so we all, we all have this in our life. We all have the things that, that we wake up with that are in our life. Maybe we deal with them. Maybe we don't. We all have the things that, that really hold us back from faithfully seeking after the Lord, from faithfully loving other people, from faithfully being on mission with him. First thing we got to do if we want to trust in God as good and gracious is we got to locate the broken spirit within us. we we got to pull things out of the bag and say, all right, Lord, I think this is a thing. This is an area of growth. All right, Lord, this is an insecurity I have. All right, Lord, this is a worry I have about you or the worry I have about your community. Your community is just not quite as perfect as the, the Bible made it sound. We have all these things. First thing we got to do is locate them. But we can't just locate something and expect that putting something on a list is going to do the healing, right? We need to center back to something in the middle of the chaos of whatever that burden is. We have to come before the Lord. We have to lay broken before Christ. And so if the first step is assessing, the second step is acknowledging and confessing. In Psalm 34, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We need to go to the Lord when we're brokenhearted, when we're crushed in spirit. You want healing for that? Go to the Lord. He calls us to do that. And as we come to him with the things, he shepherds us. In Colossians, this is speaking of Jesus. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God went on our behalf. Jesus took our sin and our shame so that we could have life with God. 
And so we need to locate our need for God, for salvation, but also for all these other categories if we're following after Christ. And then we need to see Christ as not just the Redeemer and our ticket to heaven, but Christ is the one who is desiring to reconcile all the different aspects of our life. His ministry is a ministry of reconciliation that we get to be a part of. If we open up the bag, bring those things before the Lord. And so we got to assess, but we also have to acknowledge and confess. Third step, look and listen and be with Jesus. In Psalm 12, it says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise. We have a God who arises when he sees us in need. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Our Lord is our keeper, our safety and our security. And so, so we need to look to, listen to, and be with Christ. We, we don't just make a list, bring it before him, say, sorry, God. We ought to interact with our Redeemer. We ought to interact with, with the one who made us, who brought us up to be the, the, the person we are. So we got to be with Christ. And then finally, we got to lean into the Lord's people. God didn't have us doing our thing. He didn't have Moses doing his thing. He didn't have the people of Israel doing their thing on a solo mission. No, there is a call to community that God has. There's always going to be sin in a community, and so it's not going to be perfect, but God has a perfect design in his people coming together. And so at Anthem, we, we do groups, discipleship groups, community groups, so that people can cross paths, get together, Hold one another accountable, right? Community is so important. We can work through all these things in our life, but if we never let other people in, we're going to be struggling with pride. we, we got to be humble before one another. And sometimes that community is really important for you, and you're in a low season, and you have the broken spirit. But other times, we're in a place where we need to be the community giver, the one who's helping someone else flourish. Sometimes we're going to be soaking up the, the grace of others. But it's important that we continue to show up with the people of God, even in our great seasons, so that we can be a light and a witness and a reminder to them of what hope looks like. That's, that's how we navigate. That, that's how we navigate the chaos. We lean into the Lord. We lean into his people. And so as we look at God's word we're guided. I don't know if you've seen the, the movie 50 First Dates or not before. It's an old movie. It's an Adam Sandler movie. It's funny, probably not completely appropriate, but there's something in that movie that I think tells us something about our God and the love that he has for us. Basic premise of the movie, there's a guy, he falls in love with a girl, he loves the girl, and what, what happens? She gets in a car accident, He's grieving. How do I deal with this? She loses her memory. He's like, what do I do about this? Like, love the girl or want to keep dating her. Or maybe they're married at that point. Want to be with her, but, but I don't know if it's going to work because she doesn't remember me. Every day she'd forget who, she, who he was. And so what does he do? He makes a reel of their love story together. He had this footage. He compiles it all in this little VCR tape. And day after day after day, he stays in that relationship. She's waking up not knowing him. But he's waking up showing, hey, this is the story 
This is the love story that exists that's real. That's us. God's the one who's given us his story. It's, it's written very clearly in here, and we need it in our lives, and we need to put the tape in every day because that is how we walk through hopelessness. That's what we do when we're cynical about life, when we have a hard heart, when we have a broken spirit. We look at the story and remind ourselves of who our loving God is. He wants us to know him, but will we seek him? This morning, God is calling us to be in community with one another, to be abiding in him. Even when we have a broken spirit, even if we think, man, these burdens are too big, we have a God who walks with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that there is this, this gospel message from Genesis to the end of the book in Revelation, God. We, we see this great story of you loving your children faithfully even when your children aren't seeking you. Even when we're seeing others as guilty, when we see ourselves as insufficient, incapable, deficient with this thing and that thing, God, you guide us back to you over and over and over again. God, would we be humble people who are in your word? Would we be humble people who are real with the community around us? Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.